Welcome to my Japanese Green Tea Podcast, the Green Tea Show with a Japanese Twist. And now your host, Ricardo Caicedo. Hi everyone, hope you're having a great day. Uh, today's guest is Ian Chan. He's the founder of Unomius, I'm sure you've heard. It's, the, it's an online marketplace that specializes in Japanese teas. Uh, hello Ian, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm glad to have you in the show again. If I remember, um, you, you appeared in podcast number two. Oh, really? Wonderful. Um, yeah. I didn't know it was <laughs> podcast number two, but um, I'm honored to be back here. For the people that don't know you yet, c could you make a brief introduction again? Sure. Um, I'm originally from Honolulu, Hawaii. Um, I became interested in Japan while studying literature at Brown University. Um, after I graduated from university, I basically spent most of my adult life in Japan, um, and I've gained a fluency in the Japanese language along with um, business and web marketing skills. Um, I got involved in the tea industry because I set out to help a friend uh, who happens to be a tea farmer from Kyoto. Um, that was Yasuhiro Matsumoto and the vice president of Kyoto Obubu Tea Farms. Um, I helped him to build his uh, English language website and um, start marketing his uh, brand outside of uh, Japan in the English language. And in return, he introduced me to the Japanese tea industry. That was about four years ago. Um, since then, I, I had started to expand to other um, clients as a marketing consultant. Um, but what I discovered was that I couldn't really... Um, take on as many clients as I wanted to, um, and therefore, in order to have a really lasting impact in the um, farming agriculture industry in Japan, I decided to start Unomias as a marketplace for the Japanese tea industry. Um, by doing so, I would have much more of an impact on helping a larger number of tea farms um, as well as other small-scale uh, producers in Japan than I would have otherwise as an individual consultant. Um, and so I'm happy to present Unomias as a tea marketplace to uh, all the tea lovers around the world. So you didn't study anything related to, to computers, business? right? Computers or business, no. Um, purely, you learn uh, by yourself? <laughs> purely by, by self, yeah, self-taught. Um, I was a literature major at university. I did my master's in literature. Um, I was all about studying the world as a... Uh, society as all as you would say like a text um, I'm really interested in culture um, that's how I got interested in the tea industry because it has such a unique and rich um, historical culture that it's attached to it but at the same time you know it's a um, it's a product it's a something that people consume and purchase um, so it was a really cross-section of, of culture and business that got me into this industry oh. So the, the topic for today is uh, about the certification, organic, mm -hmm. and yeah, organic and all these eco, eco farm certification. Since you know so much about the Japanese uh, market, why, why don't you tell us a, a bit about it? Okay. Um, well, first of all, I'm a, I'm you know a retailer basically, a retailer and a wholesaler of tea. So. I'm not actually involved in obtaining the certifications, which would be done by the producers. Um, so my my expertise is uh, my knowledge is um, you know, based primarily off of the regulations that I read about it. Um, so in terms of what actually goes on 
by farmers or producers who need to take to get the certifications themselves. My knowledge is primarily secondhand. I, I hear from my suppliers. Um, that being said, there is a lot that I do know about it, so I'll tell you what I do know. Um, organic certification um, is in Japan is uh, the basically the main certification is with the Japan Agricultural Standards. Um, so you would call it the JAS, JAS organic certification. Um, so this certification is, you know, it's, it's actually basically the same as what the uh, USDA provides for um, American farmers. Um, there is one interesting thing about uh, the J Japan organic certification is that it prohibits the use of what's called recombinant DNA technology, one form of genetic modification. Um, so you're not allowed to utilize, uh, you're not allowed to label anything uh, certified organic if it uses genetic modification or if it uses um, products that um, utilize genetic modification, at least this type of technology of genetic modification. Um, I'm sure there are lots of other ones that the government itself has not kept up with, but... Um, this case, recombinant DNA technology, in any case, is not um, is prohibited by the certification. Um, as a perennial uh, crop, uh, meaning that um, the, the the plants themselves last for um, a long time, um, the uh, farmers are required to um, not use any prohibited agricultural chemicals or fertilizers for three years before harvest. Um, so at least three years before harvest, they must stop using anything, any kind of synthetic chemicals or fertilizers, what's prohibited, uh, be three, for three years. Um, this, also, this does not include, however, I would guess you would say organic uh, material. Um, of course, compost for fertilizer is allowed as well as um, raw materials um, that are non-synthetic, but, but for example, minerals. Um, phosphate is one mineral that is often used, um, I believe. And so uh, it's not that organic um, items, crops that are certified organic are completely devoid of uh, use of chemicals or fertilizers. It's just that um, synthetic chemicals or fertilizers are prohibited. There are also non-certified uh, practitioners of what's called natural farming um, who believe that you should not be using any type of chemicals or fertilizers. You shouldn't be putting anything that's, uh, that nature didn't already uh, provide for you in the field uh, when you grow your crops. Um, so these are uh, what's called natural, far uh, natural farming are basically completely pesticide-free, completely chemical-free, and completely fertilizer-free. Um, sometimes that also means that the taste of the tea leaves are not as strong or not what people are used to because it is completely natural. A lot, a lot of times these farmers are also much too small uh, to, qualify, uh, to be able to afford uh, organic certification. The last one you, uh, that you're saying... The one that doesn't use anything, mm -hmm. does it have a certification or they're just doing it by themselves? They are doing it by themselves. There is no certification for it. Um, they mostly okay. belong to a, a uh, I guess you would say, a. it's almost like a spiritual group. Um, um, they revere a group of um, farmers who basically they revere nature. Um, instead of... Um, and they believe that nature has given um, 
you the resources that you need to, um, if you take care of it properly, um, to be able to grow um, food and uh, to eat that is not artificially created by 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 human um, intervention in the natural surroundings. So, but these are these are pretty. Um, uh, they're not the they're not the norm in the Japanese agricultural industry, but we found a couple of them that are that are very interesting. So, at that point, it's it's a matter of um, and you know this is the the flip side of certifications is that um, it's a matter of how much trust that you place in the tea that you're you're putting into your body. So if you um, you know, before before mass consumerism, you would be able to buy from a farmer who came to your market, so you knew who the farmer was, and therefore you trusted you know, how the farmer grew their products. Um, that obviously is not really is often not feasible in, in modern society, especially with tea coming from uh, across the ocean. But with uh, the type of um, marketplace type of, of promotion that we do of the farmers um, we want you to know that you know you purchase from specific uh, specific person um, and hopefully we rebuild that type of trust there okay so the, the process is they apply and then they stop they stop for three years uh, using the synthetic fertilizers synthetic and pesticides yes um, and then they get visits from the Yes, generally. Yes. Um, generally, what they would do is they would have to stop um, utilizing, you know, prohibited chemicals or fertilizers for three years, and then once once they've finished, um, once they have not been using chemicals or fertilizer for three years, then they're allowed to apply for a certification. Uh, then a organization, a certifying agency, would come. Uh, they would inspect their fields, um, which means that. Um, the farmers would have to pay for the transportation and the time. Uh, I believe they have to pay the inspectors for their time, um, depending on the agency, obviously. Um, and the agents would then inspect their fields, inspect their records, and then they are put on probation, I believe. Um, and I believe the probation period lasts for a little, a certain amount of time before they are approved to utilize to call themselves uh, certified organic. Um, so a lot of times what's interesting about um, tea farmers in Japan is that they don't have one farm um, the way that we often think about farms. Now, usually they are farmers who have tea fields in various locations. And so they would have to um, certify each of these tea fields separately, uh, which then also becomes a large cost. Mm. So it, so it's not that easy. It's um it's a little bit of complicated. Um, so there are tea farms, however, who are, um, you know, historically they have um, farmed on one location and one contiguous field, one field that is not separated into separate fields. Um, those tea farmers find it easier to 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 get certification because they don't have to. There, the effort that's necessary is a little bit lower. Um, that being said, what happens actually when you stop utilize, utilizing chemicals and fertilizers or pesticides and fertilizers is that uh, your field then becomes kind of like an open target for, for insects. If you've been using fertilizers um, or chemicals 
pesticides to keep insects away for you know a number of years. Um, that's what has kept them kept kept the insects away or kept diseases away. Therefore, uh, once you stop the the tea plants themselves are actually kind of weak, you would say. Um, so it's very easy to, for them to be attacked by diseases and insects. Um, so that's the scariest thing about trying to um, convert your tea farm into an organic tea farm. Um, I see. So, so the production is lower for three years? Uh, the production is zero for about five years, <laughs> from, oh. what I, from, from what I've heard. Um, there may be other ways to do it, but if you, if you it's almost like going through... Uh, it's almost like you're a drug addict and you're going through withdrawal. You know, once you <laughs> quit completely, then you are then you you're, the tea plants basically go through withdrawal almost. And you might see um, a tea field that becomes completely barren of leaves completely. Um, the the plants might still be alive, but you're not going to be able to harvest. So uh, as a farmer, you have zero income until you are able to get the tea plants back uh, into a healthy state. Um, that's why you don't, you don't quit completely. You, you move from prohibited chemicals and fertilizers to um, chemicals and fertilizers that are allowed, organic compost, for example, um, as well as chemicals that are allowed to uh, be used for organic um, farming. So it's a uh, it's a little bit complicated, and, um, and you know I'm not a scientist myself, so I, I don't know everything about it. But um, it's not as uh, it's not as simple as uh, uh, being completely free of chemicals and pesticides. And anyway, for for the non-organic, there are laws like you can't use just whatever chemical you want, right? Right. There right. are safety standards in right. place. Right. There are safety standards in place for what types of chemicals you can and cannot use. Uh, for non-organic um, um, non-organic chemicals or pesticides that are used, there are safety laws in place of what is allowed and what is not allowed. Um, there's a, actually, the, Japan has a much broader list of chemicals and pesticides and what is, what is allowed and how much residue is allowed onto the leaf after it's shipped for for sale, um, it's called maximum residue level. Uh, maximum residue levels. Um, every country, well, most countries have a a policy about how much um, pesticide residue can be left into the uh, into a food product uh, when it's sold. Um, and usually they're they're so low that you know basically if you're spraying anything in your house, you're getting more. Uh, chemicals yeah. that way. Um, yeah. Japan has a much more extensive list than I've seen in other countries, uh, specifying exactly what are the safety levels of these types of products. And it's uh, very interesting that what the farmers do in order to make sure that there are um, as little pesticides as pesticide residue um, as possible on the leaf um, when they harvest is that they they generally utilize they spray or they apply pesticides generally a month before harvest, which gives the uh, weather enough time to, from rain as well as the UV radiation from the sun to break down the chemicals um, so that they, are, they become either harmless or they wash off in the rain. And yeah, it's, it's good to know. Yes, that's, that's generally what happens with um, non-organic uh, products. Because I, sometimes I have the feeling that 
since it's it's like a trend like everyone wants to go organic they want they want, when they don't need organic they they think they're they're poisoning themselves and that's not really the case well it could be but some some people have this unfounded fear well they um uh, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't say it's unfounded. I mean, it's something you should definitely. Yeah, it's def- something but... that I definitely um, pay quite close attention to. You know, before well, it's not regarding to tea, but everything else. Everything, you know, when yes, I'm saying, everything. Like everything. when when you go to a restaurant, when you buy something, exactly. chances are it's not going to be a hundred percent organic. What you eat right. each day of your life. Right. Exactly. And, you know, in maybe like 40 years ago, in like 1960s, before, um, you know, this happened in, you know, places all over the world where um, farmers, agriculture, the agriculture industry was utilizing pretty dangerous chemicals in their um, in agricultural practices. Um, this was definitely happening in Japan as well, you know, 40 years ago. Um, but because... Um, Japan, as well as the United States, you know, the um, as the as the consumer market became more sophisticated and the government became more sophisticated um, and science became more sophisticated, they started implementing rules to make sure that you know they the agriculture industry would not use products that were dangerous. It would not use it use products uh, pesticides in a way that would endanger the um, consumer populace. Um, so, you know, there was, you know, when you have one uh, organic farmer who's been doing organic farming for four, 40 years or so, um, and he would tell me that you know, he's 75 years old, and he told me that when he was starting out in tea farming, um, you would have a, you know, the river is near to where he lives, um, would be devoid of fish because the, the, the rivers were too polluted um, from pesticide runoff. Um, and that was one of the reasons why he started um, getting into organic farming. He actually is not a uh, certified, uh, he's not or certified organic farm because he actually feels that the, you know, what I talked about before about trust, he built a business uh, for three decades. Um, he built a business based off of the fact that he was farming organically, um, that he was um letting his customers know that he was um, producing safe products for them. And then all of a sudden the government came in and said that you're not allowed to use this word organic because you're not certified. And in order to certify yourself, you have to pay us a couple thousand dollars per. um, And, and so, you know, he, he basically decided that he did not want to uh, put this, it's almost the organic certification in one way is a symbol of the safetiness of the product, it's also a barrier, that uh, wall between the consumer and the producer. Um, so he did not like the fact that um, it gave it gave consumers an easy way to um, uh, guarantee a product that uh, was safe. Um, and in, in any case, when you do have a certification like this, there are obviously, you know, if, if you are a farmer or producer who does not have um, any ethical standards, there are ways to easily get around it by lying about things. Uh, there's lots of cases um, that you can search for that about things that things like this that happen. So um, in the end, it's about how much trust you have uh, with the with the tea or with the product that you purchase and the people who you, who you purchase from. At the end of the day, you, you can't substitute trust with uh, with anything. 
yeah, in the end, I mean, if you if you can't trust anyone, then you can't trust anyone. So um, it's a choice that you have to make as a consumer, basically. And let, let's say someone gets the jazz certification organic. Mm -hmm. Can he easily make a USDA? Um, no, that's they're actually completely different certification um, uh, certification standards. It's not same. It's not the same, I believe. I do know that. Um, yeah, I actually don't know specifics of what what are what is different about it, um, but I do know that they are different. Um, it may be just a matter of who you who is doing this, the agency that's doing the certification. Um, I don't think that you can do it um, simultaneously, though. Um, you can yeah. get both of them, though. But the types of paperwork that you need to fill out are different. For example, um, it's not a matter of what you do, but more of the, the paperwork that's involved. Likely, the agency will charge you won't charge you a little bit of extra. They will charge you an entirely separate fee to do uh, the USDA certification. So, okay. you know, if it costs you, you know, $2,000 per field to certify your, your product uh, in Japan, it'll cost you another $2,000 to certify it in the U.S. Uh, for USDA. So, you know, it's a matter of whether they are, it's worth it for the farmer to do that or not. Um, that being said, you know, 98% of the tea is sold in Japan. So, um, there are very few producers who are producing uh, enough and exporting enough to the U.S. to justify uh, USDA or, uh, certification. And generally, if they are, um, they are actually very large uh, producers um, producing in, in mass quantities so that they can ship it and export it to the United States. At least that's what I've seen in searching for suppliers. Um, also, so something that, that I've been thinking of is, let's say there's this... There's this land that, that hasn't been cultivated yet, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it has trees and all these things. There's a difference between organic and natural, how do you call that? Natural farming. Uh, yeah, but I don't know. That, that it doesn't damage the environment. Because right. let's say there's this little forest, right? Right. And then you go and then uh, chop down all the trees and drive all the animals out. And right. then you start your, your organic tea farm. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's not exactly the same thing. Right. You're still damaging the environment, uh, even if you're not using pesticides uh, by doing that. Any, well, I guess if you put it that way, any type of agriculture is, um, in a way, has an impact on the natural environment. Yeah. But, but the one you're saying, the, the natural, um, the one that's not certified, it's uh, closer to that, right? Natural farming is not necessarily natural the... Farming the environment itself but the crop that you you the crop that you cultivate um, the natural people who practice this type of natural farming they want to they want to raise a crop that is raised uh, cultivated naturally so that it's not being um, you know you're not injecting extra um, material extra nutrients into the ground to make the to make the crop taste differently what you want to try to do is when you practice natural farming is um, uh, cultivate food that has the actual taste of the food uh, that has no intervention from from humans so humans actually intervent in the cultivation of 
the growth process of foods quite a lot actually. Every any time that you use a fertilizer to, for example, um, make make a fruit taste more sweet or make the uh, make the leaf taste a little bit less bitter. Uh, at that point, you are altering the natural state of the the plant or the the pro- the you know cult- the food product that you're trying to produce. Uh, natural yeah. farming says that you shouldn't be doing that because I, I imagine that there's an impact. Well, I haven't really researched this a lot, but even if if you if you're using 100% organic fertilizer, if you just put a lot of it in the environment, I think it you're changing, it's going to make yeah. a change, right? You're changing the environment. Even if yeah. you're organic, you, you're doing something. Right. Even if it's organic, you're still doing something to the environment at that point. So these uh, okay, natural so let- natural farmers say that you shouldn't be doing that. They think that um, by by doing that, you're not actually getting the the true taste of the tea leaf. Now let's change the subject to the to the radiation issue with Fukushima. Sure. Can you tell us about that? Um, well, uh, the current situation of radiation in Fukushima is that the the Tokyo Electric Power Company is trying to clean up the the facility. Um, they are suffering from a lot of well, overflow of contaminated water. They are suffering from leakage of contaminated water into the into the ground in that specific area of Fukushima and the sea around that area. Uh, that being said, the contamination right now does not spread very much beyond you know that the several um, several dozen kilometers of that area. And what happened in the very very beginning. Um, when the Fukushima power, nuclear power plant started to melt down, was that the the water around that area was evaporating um, and turning into steam, and that was getting into the rain supply. Um, at that point, the rain had spread throughout uh, eastern Japan, um, so places like Saitama um, with Sayamacha, as well as parts of Shizuoka, uh, would get contaminated rain, and that rain would fall onto. Uh, the tea plants. The research done that summer um, by the government and by um, private research facilities showed that what happened was the uh, tea tea leaves at that time, um, the new tea leaves were just starting to come out at that time. So uh, what happened was that during the photosynthesis process, the leaves were absorbing the radioactive uh, particles into the plant itself. Um, They found that uh, the radioactive particles in the soil was not being absorbed through the roots, but rather um, it was absorbed through the leaves. Um, so after the, the radioactive rain, um, you know, after a few weeks, um, we stopped having that type of radioactive rain. So, and so after that, there was no further contamination, radio, radiation contamination of the plants, but the plants were contaminated. So when in May, when they started harvesting the products, they found that the tea leaves were contaminated. Uh, it was very interesting in Shizuoka particularly. Shizuoka makes up maybe 40% of Japan's um, tea uh, leaf production. Um, some valleys had rain and some valleys did not have rain. So some small parts of Shizuoka were contaminated while the maybe maybe five kilometers kilometers away uh, that area was not contaminated um, so it was a pretty it was there were basically there were hot spots in the area that um, had very high contamination what's even more interesting is that the level of contamination was actually 
was beyond um, Japan's safety limit, which was 500 becquerels per kilogram. And that was what caused so much uh, media attention because it was deemed unsafe. So in response to that, two things were done. Uh, Japanese government had lowered uh, the general safety limit to 10, 100 becquerels per kilogram for food products. And for tea products in particular, it was level lowered to 10 becquerels per liter, um, which is uh, means that the testing um, was determined by the actual tea that you drink. Um, in response, response to that, um, or in, con in contrast, uh, the safety levels in Europe was 200 becquerels per kilogram, and the intervention levels in the United States was 1,200 becquerels per kilogram. Um, so you... It's a big difference. <laughs> it's a very big difference. I don't know why the levels are so high in the United States. This is for um, the specific, the specific um, uh, nucleide uh, called cesium. Uh, the nuclear particle called cesium, that was the intervention level in the U.S. was 1,200 becquerels per kilogram. Um, I don't know why it's so high. Um, they haven't changed it because of the nuclear, um, the new Fukushima, um, but it's still the same right now. Uh, meanwhile, in, the, in Japan, it's gotten much, much, much stricter. Um, the other thing that was done was the government started instructing um, and requiring testing of those prefixtures that were affected. Shizuoka, primarily Shizuoka and Saitama. Uh, they, they did a lot of testing of products in 2011 and 2012. And in 2013, uh, they don't, they, the government itself is not doing uh, testing. Uh, because the, what, what happened, what they discovered was that every time they harvested the leaves, uh, because you know the tea plant is taking nutrients from you know the plant itself and pushing it into the leaves to to grow new leaves. Um, every time they harvested the leaves, they were able to reduce the number the amount of contamination in the tea plant. So by 2013, um, I don't know of any um, tea farm that has that has plants that are so contaminated they can't ship it with the new strict um, regulations. Um, however, we do require all of our all of our farms from Shizuoka and Saitama to um, provide us with uh, testing uh, results so to make sure that they do are within safety limits. Um, and we have found that um, all of them have provided testing results that show that there are they have not in, they do not have any radiation contamination detected at all in their tea leaves. Um, mm -hmm. So it's a it's. It's you know there is always a risk factor because um, you never know how much nobody really knows how much uh, radiation is safe or not safe in actual in actuality um, nobody knows you know we get we get radiation when we fly on airplanes actually because we're um, higher up in the atmosphere like um, cosmic rays uh, rays from the um, yeah, cosmic rays, rays from this um, radiation from the sunlight because you're higher up in the atmosphere. It doesn't filter out as much radiation. Um, in actuality, the background radiation in the United States is, uh, especially Western United States, where all that nuclear uh, nuclear bomb testing was done, is actually quite high. Um, you know, is that safe or not safe? Uh, you know, we do seem to have more cancer than we do. Than we used to, you know, 50 years ago. Um, whether it's because of that or not, it's I, I really don't know. Um, so, 
you know, that at that point, you know, it's not going to. It's not something that's obviously. It's not something that's going to kill you in the next um, you know year. But um, I don't know. You know, I'm not going to say that it's completely safe because in the end, I'm not. You know, nobody really knows. Um, but at the same time, I think it's. You know, uh, it's a. I think that everybody needs to make their own decision about um, whether whether they're going to you know eat the banana that. Uh, that has, you know, bananas actually have a really high level of radiation. Um, if you knew about that, um, really? <laughs> yes, bananas have a really high radi- level of radiation. There's actually even what's called a, oh, I can't remember what it's called now, a banana. Uh, there's a way to measure radiation contaminations based off of how much uh, bananas, banana equivalent, that's what it's called. It's a banana equivalent. Um, you know, it's equivalent to X number of bananas, uh, the radiation <laughs> contamination of this product. Um, so, you know, it, but then then again, you can also say that we don't eat a whole lot of bananas all the time. So, you know, it diffuses itself. So it's not really harmful to you. Um, so it's hard to say. Um, but I would say that um, I think that it's safe for people to drink um, tea from Japan. But again, you know, you have to make your own decision about that. In any case, we do follow um, safety requirements implemented by the Japanese government, um, and we do try to make sure that all of our tea. Well, we do make sure that all of our tea farmers uh, have are tested um, to be safe, according to what the government says is safe. All right, I've been thinking about th- there's no fair trade certification in Japan because it. Yes, everyone yes. is above the poverty level or something like that? Um, well, it's hard to say whether everyone's above the poverty level or not. Um, but uh, the fair trade you know, certification is meant for developing countries where people are in a very low, uh, low, low wage for the work that they do. Um, Japanese, the far agricultural industry itself is unique in that the type of machinery that they have allows them to conduct um, farming activities, agricultural activities, without hiring a large, large number of workers. Um, they have, and actually, in actuality, Japanese farms cannot hire a large number of workers because, you know, they would have to pay them at least ten to fifteen dollars an hour just to work on their farm. Um, it's just not worth it for in Japanese economy. It's just not worth it to become a farm worker unless you actually want to become a farmer. Um, so when companies or when uh, farmers have workers with them, they either, they're either they either helping each other out, uh, they're getting help from their neighbors who are volunteering, or they are getting help from um, aspiring farmers, um, apprentices, if you will, um, who want to become their own farmer and are working for very uh, low cost or uh, for free sometimes um, because they want to learn how to do the farming. Otherwise, you know, it's it's a much easier job to work at the McDonald's and you earn more money to work at McDonald's. So that's the state of the economy in Japan right now. Um, so, um, yeah, you don't really need to worry about uh, whether farm workers are being paid enough money or not in Japan. You might have to worry whether the tea farmer is making enough money to, to <laughs> Uh, pay to feed his family or not, uh, because you know it is a high cost of living in Japan. Yeah. Especially uh, if he's going organic. Especially if he's going organic. <laughs> well, 
one of our tea farmers, um, Haruo Ogose, he was telling me that for the first 10 years that he wanted to become an organic farmer, he basically, during the daytime, he would work on his tea fields. During the evening, he would work at the convenience store. Um, for 10 years, he did this uh, wow. um, until he was about 30, mid-30s. Uh, basically, until he was in his mid-30s, he was a convenience store worker. Um, and that's how he made his living. Um, and while he was doing that, he was preparing his fields. Uh, you know, it was a five to 10 year process to prepare his fields to be uh, completely free of pesticides and uh, fertilizer. Um, but now he is able to, you know, earn a living as a tea farmer. So it takes a lot of dedication. Yeah, and a lot of patience. A lot of patience, a lot of patience. Um, I don't um, think- could you, could you tell me which, which of your producers are organic? Um, the organic producers right now are uh, the, the two that are pr practicing natural farming are Shinichi Kihara, Haruo Ogose. Um, the tea farm um, Naturality is an organic tea farm. They're actually a cooperative of 30 farmers um, started by Toshiaki Kinizuka uh, 40 years ago. And they've been doing, you know, teaching each other how to, to farm organically for, um, for the last four decades. Unfortunately, even though they're a pretty big collaboration and a cooperative, that means they also have something like 70 different fields um, in this one specific region in Shizuoka um, that would have to be certified in order for their products to be certified organic, which would cost them maybe $150,000 a year, which is, means they would nobody would make any money at all. Um, then we have one farm in south of Kyoto in a prefecture called Mie. Um, they're the Takeo family. The Takeo family does have organic certification for Japan. And I believe at one point they had gotten USDA certification but had not maintained it. Um, they also have been farming organically for some 20 years, um, about 20 years. And they, are, they have only one um, continuous field. So it's much easier for them to get certification there's also something called the the eco farming yes eco farming is um a basically a way for the government to um approve a farmer for they the farmers basically have to submit a um, agricultural plan a farming cultivation plan that indicates that they are using a minimal amount of pesticides and fertilizer in order to minimize impact on the environment um, it's actually much less strict than you know organic certification, um, but it shows that they the farmers are concerned about um, how much impact they have uh, their farming activity has on the environment. Yeah, it's like one step forward. One step, yes, one step forward uh, in the right direction. So hopefully, you know, it provides a uh, an in between um, while they try to use less and less pesticides and fertilizers. And eventually, hopefully, those farmers will become be able to become organic. Okay. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you one final question because we're running out of time. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think the future will be like regarding organic teas in Japan? So, as I said, maybe 97 to 98% of Japanese tea is consumed in Japan. So, very little of it is exported. Um, so, it really depends on the Japanese consumer market and how the Japanese market Know, approaches organic uh, food products. Um, I do think that 
the Japanese consumers are becoming more and more concerned about organic, um, the organic labeling, organic food products. They are more willing to pay more money for organic products as well as pay uh, and more be more likely to purchase organic food products. On the other hand, though, um, it's pretty common knowledge in Japan that um, organic tea leaves themselves are less tasty than less delicious, less flavorful than uh, regular tea leaves. Um, this is common knowledge in the Japanese tea industry. Um, this could change, obviously, if you, if um, tea farmers are able to produce quality, very good quality, very tasty organic tea leaves. But right now, there, there is that stigma for organic tea leaves. So um, organic tea leaves do not, do not actually sell that well in Japan right now. Um, that being said, I think in the future, you know, people, the farmers will get more sophisticated um, and the consumers will demand a lot more for, uh, demand organic teas um, a lot more. Not in the near term, but in the long term, I think um, you will see more and more organic teas in, from coming from Japan. Well, okay, and um, thank you. It was really an interesting Thank you very um, much. It's podcast. A, <laughs> There's a lot that I try to, uh, a lot of information that I have um, uh, that I try to tell everybody, but um, sometimes I'm not the best at telling it, so uh, forgive me if it's a little bit confusing. But thank you very much for the opportunity. Yeah, th thank you. I'm sure all the listeners are, are really going to benefit from your interview. Wonderful. Okay, so uh, well, take uh, care. And yeah, it's Thanksgiving here in the United States, so um, happy Thanksgiving to you. That's it for this podcast. I'll see you in the next episode. And as usual, if you want to access the links mentioned here, uh, you can head over to www.myjapanesegreentea.com slash episode 12. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to My Japanese Green Tea Podcast at www.myjapanesegreentea.com.